Amen. Friends, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. We started last week a study in this Old Testament prophet. Uh, Daniel, uh, you may remember, can be found in your Bible after Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and before what's called the minor 12 prophets, the little ones at the back of the Old Testament. Um, Last week, in Daniel chapter 1, we saw Daniel, a teenager, taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Daniel was ripped from his home, exiled to Babylon, trained for civil service uh, in order to serve in the king's courts, uh, probably in part to serve his own people, the Jews, in the later exiles that would complete the Babylonian exile. Tonight, we're sort of out of the frying pan and into the fire. Tonight, we see Daniel's life in danger, in danger of of execution. Uh, Sometimes things go from bad to worse for the servants of God. His uh, faithfulness, Daniel's, here, doesn't keep him out of trouble. Sometimes passing one test is simply preparation for greater tests and trials. Sometimes just when you think things can't go more wrong, they do. And there's a sense of helplessness in that, but we are not helpless as Daniel 2 teaches us. Let me invite you to turn and hear God's word. We're actually taking on just the first half of this chapter, Daniel 2, verses 1 through 30. Let's consider the Lord and his strength on our behalf. This is the word of the Lord. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, And his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream 
and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a, not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and power. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. 
But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Amen. This is God's word. May he write on our hearts. Let's look to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Bless you that you are God active in history and in the events of your people's lives. And we pray that you would establish your kingdom in our hearts tonight. That you would teach us your word that we might know you truly and trust in you and look to you, glorify you. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage before us begins with a dream, the dream of a pagan ruler. But I've only read you a part of the story tonight, like like Peter Jackson breaking The Hobbit to us in multiple movies, grabbing a little extra money that way, and making us wait for the finish. So I've held back the rest of the story until next week. Now, if I could only be as entertaining as a Peter Jackson film, but alas, it is not so. We can, uh, we can cover only a portion of this chapter tonight and I think do justice to it, so that's why I've taken it. We might title this portion, What a King Doesn't Understand and His Pagan Religion Can't Do for Him. But from Daniel's perspective, we might title it this, The God Who Knows and Rules and Reveals. Let me invite you to consider this God from Daniel's perspective. Let's take it in three parts. In the first 19 verses, there's obviously a problem and a prayer. At verse 20, you see Daniel's hymn of praise. And beginning at verse 24, you see him proclaim to the king the interpretation of the dream. A prayer, a praise, and a proclamation. Verses 1 to 19, consider that prayer for a moment. We learn there that Daniel trusted in the God who knows everything. Can you see God, says the the children's catechism, if you've ever encountered that? The answer is no, but he always sees me. He knows everything. He sees everything. Even darkness is not dark to him, as Daniel acknowledges. Here in Daniel 2, this pagan king has a troubling dream and he simply can no longer sleep. His spirit is troubled and we might say that, you know, sometimes we have bad dreams because we eat bad burritos. Sometimes we, however, have bad dreams because we dream about the things we've been thinking about all day long. And they, they come back to haunt us, as it were. It may just be that... <laughs> The, the, emp- the emperor of a vast expansionist empire had on his heart what nations might he conquer in the future. How large could his, his empire get? And he went to sleep thinking about that. And he received a dream about just that. A dream we'll look at next week. But it is also the case that it is God who gave him this dream. It was a supernatural, inspired revelation from God 
about the future of both the Babylonian kingdom and God's own coming kingdom in the kingdom of his son. And here, one of the things we can pause and reflect on is that God makes his plans and purposes known through the agents of his own choosing, whether it's a Jewish prophet or a pagan Babylonian king, he will get his plans and purposes known. Now, sitting here today, I have to say that I don't think we should expect a supernatural divine revelation via dreams and visions for ourselves of the future kingdom of God. And the reason is God has given us his final word until it's fulfilled of his coming future kingdom. We have it in the book of Revelation. We, we know what God is going to do. We have more revelation than Daniel ever had. And while the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, while its visions might be confusing, its message is crystal clear. Jesus wins, and so do his people. And so here we have a king with a troubling dream from God, and it's a troubling dream about the future, and the king then commands that all his, his wise men, his magicians, his sorcerers, diviners, even astrologers, and, and all these people g- gather before him and help him to know what's going on. And uh, they say to him, O king, live forever. Sort of ironic, because the dream is about the fact he's not going to. Uh, and, and they say, well, look, tell us the dream, and we can give you the interpretation. That's a reasonable request, don't you think? I mean, tell it to us and we'll explain it to you. But this is not a reasonable king. He says, the word for me is firm. Uh, Tell me the dream and the interpretation. And if you don't, I'm going to tear you limb from limb and I am going to destroy you and your families forever. (laughs) This is not a benevolent dictator. Uh, Beware the whims of an irate and all-powerful monarch. When one man has power over everything, nobody is safe if he's in a bad mood. Uh, And he says to them, look, if you fail in this, death to all of you. But, But here he does use both the carrot and the stick. He also says, you know, but if you succeed at this, I will give you, I'll give you power and I will give you honor, you know. So come on, do it. (laughs) But they make a second attempt at him, right? And it goes nowhere with the king. He suspects them of being liars. So they say, well, tell us the dream. We'll give the interpretation. He says, he says look, I know you guys. You guys are, are people of bad characters, basically what he says. I don't trust you. Anybody can make up with the interpretation of the dream. Tell me you understand the dream. Get that right. And then I'll believe what you have to say about the interpretation. Uh, here he is, the most powerful monarch on earth in his day. And he simply can't get a straight answer about a little nightmare in the night. Two years into his reign, he has destroyed the Egyptians. He has destroyed the Assyrians. But he's hung up on a little dream. He's got fame, power, wealth, influence, a military like no one's. But he has no peace in his heart before God about his future. He has no peace in his heart before God about his future because his his life 
and his heart is fixed on this world and his kingdom and not on God and his kingdom. And he is a very insecure and anxious man because of that. And so once more he says to them, tell me the dream. And I will, sh- and I will know that you can show me its interpretation. These uh, liars uh, know that they're good at telling the truth when their necks are on the line. And they then finally come out with it. Verse 10. There's not a man on earth who could do what you've asked us to do. There's not a king who's ever asked his, his, uh, his sorcerers and magicians to do what you have asked. And here I think it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. How God, in, in setting this all up, exposes the inadequacy of pagan religion with a little dream. And he even gets the pagans to confess themselves how inadequate their own religion is to do it. They own it. The thing the king asks is too difficult, they say. And no one can show it to the king except, except they say, the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Um, I, I, was, I, I couldn't help but be uh, reminded of here with this whole issue of how little they knew and how much they knew they didn't. Of, of uh, former Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld, if you remember in the, I think it's 2002 or so, when, when under President Bush, um, as uh, we were looking at, or maybe even in the midst of the early part of the Iraq War, uh, at a press conference, he famously said um, this, and I, I make no comment on Rumsfeld or Bush's religious convictions, but he said this, there are known knowns. There are things we know that we know. There are known unknowns. That is to say, there are things we know we don't know. But there are also unknown unknowns. There are things we don't know we don't know. <laughs> That's the confession here of the pagans. There's just a lot we don't know and we can't know and we never will know, king, because nobody can know it. <laughs> and the king, of course, here responds, not in an understanding way, but with anger and fury, right? No king likes to be told, no. <laughs> and he's uh, furious. He, he, says, he says, that's it. I'm done. You're done. Kill them all, he tells his guard. And, uh, and that's the brutality of Babylon. That's life under a, uh, a dictator who, ha- who calls all the shots. Um, it can be pretty cushy if you're in his good graces. Uh, but when he's in a foul mood, uh, look out. So the decree goes out to kill all the wise men. And they sought, it says, even Daniel and his friends, because they were counted among, though they were sort of junior you know, among all the elder wise men of Babylon. His, his powers had not yet been thoroughly discovered. And there's an issue of when this takes place with regard to chapter 1, but it's somewhere in the midst of this whole thing. Daniel's going to get killed along with his friends too. Daniel catches wind of this at the last moment. He asks the guard, the, the captain of the king's guard, who's sent to arrest him and execute him, well, you know, why is all this going on? What, what's happened? And what's the rush? What's the rush? Look, I, I can interpret this if you just get me an audience with the king. And, and Daniel goes into the king and he gets an appointed time. And, and the king says, all right, I'll, I'll hear it. Now, now, is this arrogance on Daniel's part? 
I can interpret this. Just, you know, appoint a time for me to come and I will do it. Is it arrogance on his part? I would argue no. It is confidence, but it is not self-confidence. Daniel here is confident in his God. What Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know, what his pagan magicians and sorcerers couldn't know, what Daniel himself doesn't know, this Daniel knows is known by someone who knows all there is to know. God knows, Daniel thinks to himself. And Daniel knows that God knows and that Daniel is gifted above all in his generation with the ability to interpret dreams and give visions. And so Daniel knows having been given wisdom and knowledge and that he's good at this, it's a gift from God, and he knows that God is for him and not against him. That God is his God and his Savior, his protector and defender. And in trusting that God is for him and not against him, he is calm. He very respectfully asks for this opportunity to do so. And he's granted it. And he has a moment, a day, we don't know, a couple of days before he has to come back. And so he goes home and he gathers up all his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he says, man, we have got to pray. I've got to get the interpretation of this dream. You must beg God for mercy, he says. In a time of crisis, he prays with his friends. He doesn't go it alone. He knows he needs them and that they are in it together. Their destiny is bound up in his destiny. And together they go before the throne of God for help in time of need. And at verse 19, it says simply that their prayer was answered. And they will then, we know, be spared. Now, let me just ask this question. When we are confused and when we are out of answers, do we, like Daniel, entrust ourselves to the one who knows it all? We don't know what we need. Sometimes we don't even know what we should ask for. But that's okay. We can still come before the throne of grace and breathe out sighs and, and, and from the depths of our guts just pour out our anguish before the Lord because God knows exactly what we need. Jesus is raised and he always intercedes on behalf of all his saints and he is not ignorant and the spirit always lives to intercede for us and he knows the deep things of God. He knows it all. Are we the kind of people who, when we don't know what we should do, when we're faced with some trouble or crisis or anguish, are we the kind of people who turn to the Lord, who are even willing to say to our friends, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray with me. The wonderful thing about living this side of the cross is that we know that Jesus is a man just like us in every way and yet without sin. And he is also our great high priest who has passed through the heavens now to appear before God in heaven on our behalf. And he says in the book of Hebrews, then come boldly before his throne of grace that you might receive mercy and help in time of need. And God can do so because he knows exactly what your issues are. So we see here in the first place, verses 1 to 19, that, God, that Daniel entrusts himself to the God who knows everything. Then at verse 20, we see that Daniel worships the God who rules in wisdom and power. 
Notice here at verse 20, Daniel answered. Having gotten the answer from God, he answers God at verse 20. And he blesses the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. Now listen, right here I think something unexpected happens in the text. Because if we were telling the story, we would go from verse 19, Daniel got the answer he needed, right to verse 24, and Daniel raced off to go tell the captain the king's guard, I can interpret the dream. You know, that's the way the story flows. But verses 20 to 23 is an interjection. It has nothing to do with the basic plot line of the story, but it has everything to do with who Daniel is and who God is. Because what he chooses to do right here is to worship, to praise the Lord, and to give thanks to the Lord. He's got an answer for King Nebuchadnezzar. And he knows it's not the answer the king is going to want to hear. It's about the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. That his kingdom will not last. And the first thing Daniel does is instead of, you know, running and hiding or rushing off to get it over with, he sits down, as it were, in the message, marinates in it before God. And returns praise to his father in heaven for who he is and what he does. God reigns. God rules. He is to be worshipped and Daniel worships him. Notice some of the things he praises God for. Verse uh, 20. He praises God for his eternal wisdom and power. A young boy traveling by airplane the story is told went to visit his grandparents sat beside a man on an airplane who happened to be a, a seminary professor a theologically knowledgeable the boy is reading some Sunday school take-home paper and the seminary professor thinks I'll have a little bit of fun with this boy so he says to him young man uh, if you can tell me something God can do I'll give you a big shiny apple I guess that was in the day when, like, an apple was a big deal. I don't know. The boy thought for a moment, and he replied, Mister, if you could tell me something God can't do, I'll give you a whole barrel full of apples. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. He probably learned in Sunday school, and rightly. Does God know all things? Yes, says the the children's catechism. Nothing can be hidden from God. Can God do all things? Yes, God can do all his holy will. So he praises God for his eternal wisdom and power, and he praises him for controlling the destiny of kings. Notice verse 21. God changes times and seasons. He removes kings, and he sets up kings. Look, last week we saw that God is sovereign over his people's suffering. It was God, after all, who carried Judah off into exile to Babylon. It was God who gave Judah into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. God was organizing and governing all of this. He's sovereign. But that doesn't deny Nebuchadnezzar's responsibility. It was he who had the plans in his heart to expand his empire. It was he who decided to besiege Jerusalem. What he purposed in his heart to do, he did. And it fulfilled the plan of God. Daniel knows this too. 
that God is in control of all things. And that doesn't make him say, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Daniel doesn't think to himself, ah, you know, the fates are against me. There's nothing I can do. No, Daniel knows that there is a person on the throne, not a principle on the throne. There's not some impersonal thing called chance or fate or fortune ruling and reigning the universe in, in an unstoppable and um, unchangeable way. But there's a person, a father who sits upon the throne of the universe and he can be appealed to in prayer to do something on behalf of his people. And that is exactly what Daniel does. He looks to God for help because he knows he's sovereign. If God, after all, isn't sovereign, why would you appeal to him? I mean, if God isn't in control, you couldn't hope for him to influence the outcome of your crisis. Daniel knows, however, what we sang from William Cooper's song, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, His Wonders to Perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea, and he rides upon the storm. You can't see what God is doing necessarily. He's hidden in the storm and in the sea, but he is there, and he is working out his will so deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill. He treasures up his bright designs, and he works his sovereign will. He's the God of heaven above and the God of earth below. Then Daniel praises God for sharing his wisdom and his knowledge with him. He's the God who gives wisdom to the wise, he says, and then he thanks God that he made me wise. He's the God who gives knowledge to those who are understanding. It's not that you're understanding and then he gives you knowledge. It's that you're understanding because he gave it to you. You're wise because he made you wise. And Daniel says at the end of it, you have made known to me what is the king's dream and its interpretation. And so I ask us again, are we the kind of people who go to the Lord for help when we don't know what else to do? Are we like Daniel here, who knew where to go for answers? The wise men, the magicians, the sorcerers of Babylon had nowhere to go for an answer. They couldn't find the answer within. They had no one else to turn to. But Daniel has the Lord God of heaven and earth on his side. And are we then the kind of people who worship and praise him for who he is truly? I sat with Dan and Amber this morning, and we worship the Lord There's another couple with us who um, instigated a time of prayer. And Dan led that prayer time. Dan, who on Thursday could walk with all the strength he's ever had, who by Friday needed assistance to walk, and who by this morning couldn't even hold himself up on his own two feet. Dan led us in prayer before the throne of God and his opening. I could not have handed to him this text and had him prayed it better than he did. And I don't think this was in his mind, but he prayed and he praised the God who is wise and the God who is powerful and the God who's on his throne, and the God who loves Dan and Amber and his people and cares for their well-being, the God who can do anything he wants to do. And then he appealed to him. For help, But he prayed most especially, not just that he would be healed, but that God would be glorified, even in his suffering. It was extraordinary. Are we the kind of people who praise the Lord who is on his throne? K. 
Can we say, and do we know what Cooper knows, as Daniel did, as Dan, Dan Schweder does, ye fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Let us be people who worship the God who rules in wisdom and power, who, who are people like Job, who said the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away, and blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the second thing I think you see here. He praises the one who rules in wisdom and power, and the final thing he does is he proclaims the one who reveals the future, verses 24 through 31. Daniel gets the dream, he praises God, he turns to the king, he says, I can, I can tell you what it says. And though no wise man in your kingdom could do it, no enchanter could do it, I know the truth, uh, God knows the truth, and I can tell it to you. Everyone but God, Daniel says, is simply guessing at what the future holds. Uh, but God isn't. There's a... Uh, they, um, a writer I was reading this week says there's an impressive garden, sunken garden, outside of the Yale Rare Books Collection at Yale University. It's meant to simulate the universe. There's a large marble pyramid standing in one corner symbolizing time. And then there's, uh, in another corner, this kind of huge donut-shaped structure standing on its side. It symbolizes energy. And in a third corner is a huge die perched on one tip as if ready to topple in any way. It's the symbol of chance. Uh, this guy says, Peter Moore, he says, the worldview of modern man is symbolized there. A self-existing universe consisting of energy, time, and chance. And those in Babylon, ancient or modern, says Ralph Davis, don't know which way the die will fall. Chance is opaque. The it is the world of whatever. But Bible Christians think the Yale Garden is a lie, as does Daniel. There is a God in heaven, he says, verse 28, who reveals mysteries, and he has made it known. Having a God who reveals mysteries about the future does not mean we have a God who reveals everything to us. He doesn't show you what stocks you ought to buy so you can become rich. And he doesn't tell you what food you ought to eat so you can live to be 90. But he reveals what we need to have. There is a kingdom more glorious than Nebuchadnezzar's. More beautiful than the hanging gardens, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world in Babylon. More enduring than petty dictators. And you can walk into the future with a God like that. You can keep hope without fear with a God like that walking into that future with you. And so at verse 30, Daniel says, But as for me, this mystery is, has been revealed to me, but not because of the wisdom that I have, but in order that it may be known to the king. In other words, um, 
Daniel says, uh, I can tell it to you, and God didn't give this to me uh, because I'm so smart. Nobody's that smart, but God, in great humility, said, Daniel, I'll give you the interpretation. You pass that along to the pagan king. I'll tell you what my plans are, God says. Here's what I'm going to do, God says. And over the course of the Bible, he reveals it all to us. That is grace to monarchs and grace to minor players in the history of the world. There is a humility in that kind of God. He could do just what he's going to do without telling any of us what he's going to do. But he reveals the end from the beginning. The whole world then has access to this plan. It is put before him. The kingdom of God has broken into this world and it will be consummated in glory under Jesus, the king of kings. And in the book of Revelation, we see that Jesus wins and his people are safe and secure. And so while kingdoms come and go, Jesus' kingdom outlasts them all. His people will endure. We receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And Daniel caught a glimpse of that promise in his dream. It was as he already knew. The God of Israel is the true and everlasting God. And his kingdom rules over all. Now maybe you're sitting here today saying, well, you know, it's easy for Daniel to be at peace and filled with confidence in the face of certain death. Because, you know, after all, he's a prophet and he's really special. But I'm an ordinary Christian. I don't have inspired dreams and visions. And when I'm in crisis, how do I know that this will work out for my good, we say to ourselves? How do I know confidently God is working for my good? And the answer to that is the same humble God, the humble God we see upon the cross where the prince of glory died. For in Daniel chapter 2, we read that the Babylonians got it wrong. They said, the gods... They don't dwell with humans, but we know better. There is one God, one true one who became flesh and tabernacled among us. He has been where we are. He had legs made useless upon a cross. And though he was God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped and held onto, but he made himself nothing, becoming a servant of all. Even a slave unto death for us. And that cross is the guarantee, friends, that God is for us and not against us. God, having not spared his own son, how will he not also, with giving us Jesus, graciously give us all things? And so the place of our greatest confidence, that our trials are not because God hates us, But because God is for us and actually working for our good, the place of that confidence in the cross, the cross of a God who knows everything, a God who rules in wisdom and power, a God who reveals the future with great humility, who says to us, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will lead you to springs of living water and I will wipe every tear from your eyes. Let's pray. Father, we bless you for being that God to us. Help us to know you and trust in you. Lean on you in our own sorrows. In Jesus' name, amen.